Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am Peter Englert. I am one of the hosts of this show. I'm also with our producer, Dylan Carnival. And um, we are here with two special friends, uh, Jill and Lee Tightsworth. Uh, the question that they are going to be res- responding to is why doesn't time heal all wounds? And we'll be sharing a little bit more of that story later. Uh, but remember, Why God Why is brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. Um, just a little bit about Jill and Lee. Lee uh, is, uh, I like to say he's Lee, Lee Tightsworth Enterprises. He's a <laughs> painter. He's a balloonist. He flies hot air balloons. He fixes up cars. He's just, just got quite a story. And then Jill is an ASL interpreter. They are also parents of four wonderful children. And uh, we'll tell a little bit more about that story later. So we'll get started from there. Jill and Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you, Peter. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> I know. Jill said before the podcast, she's like, I can sign, I can sing, but I'm not a fan of talking. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> so um, to get started, you know, we're in this series about grief, um, and you all have a story uh, to tell about that. And so I guess my question that we've been starting off with everybody is what's your basic definition or understanding of grief? This is uh, the the way if we could boil down grief uh, to a to a distilled definition, maybe the way we would think of it is a person's response to personal loss, some kind of loss. So um, that's that's kind of the way we frame it and think about it is is um, that maybe immediate and ongoing response to some kind of a loss. Mm. Jill, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we discussed this question. <laughs> and um, we, I don't know, I feel like it can be any kind of loss. It can be, I mean, we haven't had interaction for how long? <laughs> um, it can be loss of interaction. It can be loss of a limb. It can be loss of a baby. It can be loss of a parent. Um, or loss of a future. Um, so, I mean, there's all sorts of different types of losses or even like um, loss of what you had envisioned your future to be, just mm. that changing. Mm. So. I really appreciate it. I think you're probably the first ones to add in a person's response. You know, most people have just said loss. So I, I really like that. And, you know, the question that we picked for you was, why does time, um, why doesn't time heal all wounds? And um, when you hear time heal all wounds, what what are the thoughts that you have? To an extent, it's true, of course. As time goes on, some of the um, the acute pain wanes, and it isn't as um, necessarily as sharp of a, of a pain as time goes on. And yet just like a physical wound if it's not treated properly and it's not dealt with properly it it may not heal well and even a even a wound that does heal well whether it's emotional or um or whether it's physical uh, it may affect you for years to come in this case when we're talking about grief one thing that jill really um, brought to light as we were in some discussion leading up to this is how all different kinds of things can trigger the memory of that loss and it can trigger that grief, and it might happen a couple weeks later, certainly, when it's really fresh, 
It could be a year later. It could be years down the line. So although time does, in some sense, heal, in another sense, it's, it, it, can, it can still be very fresh um, mm -hmm. even years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I found that um, it's not far below the surface. So um, a song or, um, for me personally, um, when, when one of our um, hard times happened, um, seeing a pregnant woman rub her belly um, and remembering what that felt like and the fullness and, and everything, um, that would strike me. Or, um, I don't know, there's, there's a number of different things that just bring it to mind. Um, I lost my mom 11 years ago. And so an ornament or a recipe with her handwriting, those things bring it to the surface where you're fine every day. And then all of a sudden you see these things and it's, it's like it was yesterday again. And it feels suffocating and almost chokes you again. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad you brought up your mom. Um, so like, why don't you walk through what you experienced with grief? And I think what we're finding with our guests, you know, there's there's usually one thing that people can point to, but as you both have said, you know, you experience grief in a lot of different ways. It's just becomes more acute. So, you know, why don't you tell us about Clara and just your experience and, you know, what happened? Okay. Um, well, like you said, with my mom, um, 11 years ago, she passed away out of the blue. Um, we had been shopping the day before and um, she died of a heart attack essentially she had had um she'd been diagnosed with cardiomyopathy and so um my oldest was four months old when she passed away um and then a handful of years later um we were pregnant with our third child and we had had the anatomy exam and everything that happens usually around 20 weeks um everything seemingly looked good and then about five weeks later, um, we had to check something on her anatomy again. Um, I don't think they got a good picture of her spine or something. And so um, we went back in, and uh, when, we, when I was laying there, I was kind of peppy and asking the, the ultrasound tech um, questions and being like, what are you, what are you measuring? She's like, well, that's a femur and then she paused and I looked at her face and she's like I'm not finding a heartbeat I'm gonna go get the doctor and so in my mind I was like well they forgot to plug something in <laughs> you know like she's gonna go get the doctor and the doctor will plug that thing in and everything will be okay and um the doctor came in and she just all of a sudden had this like she had this look of dread and she was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, wait, wait, but, but wait. <laughs> I mean, you have to do something first. And so she just like turned the ultrasound thing away and sat down and started talking to us about what had happened and um, what, what they knew had happened and um, next steps. And I was just reeling from confusion and trying to wrap my head around what she was telling me and I remember um 
the song, Lord, I need you, God, I need you, every hour I need you, was going around in my head during that. And and I know that I think that song particularly is, ta- particularly is talking about sin. But in that moment, um, it was just my prayer. I was just saying, Lord, I need you, I need you. And um, it was... It was quite the the process after that. You know, I I never realized that you were in the doctor's office and just how sudden. Um, <laughs> have you found that experience to be with a lot of couples, you know, or women that you, that it's I walk in, you know, I, I've heard some say I felt like something wasn't right. Well, I, I did feel like something wasn't right. The the Friday beforehand, actually, I had an, an appointment and um, the midwife checked me and she did say that um, she was measuring small mm-hmm. and the baby was measuring small and um, that she wanted to get me in for an emergency ultrasound, but it was Friday afternoon and the emergency ultrasound was already taken. Mm-hmm. So I had to be scheduled on Monday morning at 11. We heard the baby's heartbeat on that. We heard the baby's heartbeat that day. Mm. Appointment. And um, and she said, the midwife was like, oh, her heartbeat sounds strong, so we'll see on the ultrasound. And then I remember sitting in church on that Sunday and um, and putting my hand on my stomach and um, feeling her kick. And... Um, I, I remember exactly where that feeling was. And I just looked at Lee and I took it as like, she's okay, she's okay. Um, but I still had this feeling of dread. I remember taking a walk and just praying to God and um, feeling like, I don't know, that, that something wasn't right. But hoping that it was just something that was like maybe maybe something was a little bit off physically, you know, um, hoping that not, not that she was gone. Mm. So. Lee, uh, you know, so, I mean, just to be real with everybody, I haven't gone to an appointment with my wife and she's pregnant um, at all because of the coronavirus, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, I think you feel the responsibility um, How did you find out? Were you at the doctor's appointment or, you know? Oh, I was, she, because there was some, some apprehension leading up to it. And I usually, I went to a lot of the appointments Mm -hmm. with you, right? Especially ultrasounds. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so no, I was, I was there, I was with her. Um, and I'm the type of person who, you know, I'll maybe minimize an issue and not think it's actually a big deal. Uh, so through the weekend, it wasn't that I was unsympathetic, but I just didn't think that anything was actually wrong. So I was caught very off guard and I was caught off guard with how much it affected me. Um, because with pregnancy in particular, I've said it a lot of times, there's a reason they're nine months long (laughs) because (laughs) you need that amount of time, uh, just physically to prepare your space, you know, but also mentally to believe that it's actually real, that it's happening. You know, in the first probably 10 weeks, probably until until I hear that first heartbeat at the appointment, it's, you know, it's it's almost like it's not even real. Like it's not even happening. And then you hear the heartbeat and it's a little bit real. And then, you know, 
your wife starts to show a little bit, it's a little bit more real. So, you know, we had had, you know, Jill had had mis other miscarriages uh, early on. And it's, you know, w we as Christians tend to hold to the scripture that, um, you know, from, from your mother's womb, the Lord knew you. Uh, we, and, and we believe that, that's true. Um, but there's a, there's a different level of reality of what's really happening as time goes on. And by 25 weeks, we had rearranged our home. We have a three bedroom house and we had two kids at the time. And so we were rearranging our house to, uh, to make space. We had just set up the crib. We had painted the room, you know, we had really prepared the space. So the baby was coming and it was finally real to me that the baby was coming. Whereas before that, it was very much real to Jill. She felt mm -hmm. it, you know, she felt the baby. She knew the, the, you know, her body's changing and everything is changing. And to me, it was still abstract. But um, with a baby at 25 weeks, it, it really, it, it struck me in a way that I, I did not anticipate. So uh, first of all, when you interview your friends, you find <laughs> out more. So how many miscarriages did you have before? Uh, I, I had two. You had two. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I under this is what I would say to all of our listeners. If you haven't gone through a miscarriage, you know you and you know someone that has. Mm -hmm. Like it's that common. It's just not talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, help us understand as a couple, maybe even individually, what's the difference of walking through a miscarriage versus what happened with Clara? Yeah. It's a good question. It is a good question. Um, I mean, I think Lee touched on a big part of it is just that, I don't know, I feel like you get past that 12, 14 week mark and you kind of feel like I'm smooth sailing now. Like I, I got past that mark. Um, with my earlier miscarriages, they were, um, one was about seven weeks, one was eight weeks. Um, and I feel like, um, although the eight week one I was I was pretty broken about that one, um, but um, it wasn't quite as real. Although I had already envisioned my family with that baby because I had had a couple weeks to to think about and envision how this next baby would change our family, and so I was already dreaming and I was already making space in my heart. For, for this little one. Um, so Clara, um, which is what we named her, um, medically speaking, um, from what I've read, after 20 weeks, um, it's considered a stillbirth. Um, if a loss in the womb is considered a stillbirth. Um, where at 12 or so weeks, you probably will still need some type of medical intervention in order to um, remove the baby. Um, you, you need even more so with a baby that's a pound or more. Um, and, and that was, there was a lot of physical stuff with this. It wasn't just the emotional heartache, it was- Medical, physical medical. Yeah, physical right. medical stuff had to happen. Um, and that was some of the challenge for us. Um, we had actually had really close friends that had a stillbirth. Um, 
a couple of years beforehand, right, right after we had our second child. And um, they're dear friends of ours. And so we kind of walked with them through that. And um, that was full term. And um, I don't know, it's just, I'm trying to put into words exactly how it's. Well, let me, can I? Yeah. There, in some ways there isn't a difference, right? And right. we, um, but, but in a, in a major way, you know, we have a, another friend by associate, I don't know her real well, but um, she had a, a, a son mm -hmm. who was older. Three, how old was he? Three years, um, Carrie said. Oh. Who passed away, right? Mm -hmm. and so he's living, he's running around. And um, let me, I know living, it's a, it's a misnomer. It, it, I, you understand what I'm saying. It was a girl and, and she was eight months old. <laughs> so I'm just picking oh, there up the details. Uh, the, <laughs> well, the details but, of what I'm talking about. Well, yes. and, and I just kind of want to encourage you, like, this is hard to talk about, right. you know, and I was even kind of thinking about, you know, I said four kids in the beginning and I was like, well, should I have said five? And now I'm wondering, like, should I have said seven? Right. You know, so. Right. so you wrestle with that, Peter. It's a, it's a, that's why it's such a good question. It's one of those things that I think for listeners, we talked about this. This is one of the challenges, you know, well-meaning people see us in the grocery store, see Jill in the grocery store and she's got two kids and say, oh, wow, you've got your hands full. How many kids do you have? And it's a friendly question. All of a sudden, it grips your heart. You know, Joe right. will, will not be able to answer and appear really rude because she has to turn her head so she can hide her tears. Like, well, how many do I have? Is it two? Is it three? Um, and that's that's something that you that we had to wrestle with. How do we answer that question? Um, and I still wrestle with that question. Right. I mean, I would say that soon after we lost Clara, which was um, over seven years now. Um, that that happened, but um, soon after, when I would be in the the store with my older two kids, and someone would say that to me, and ah, oh, when they would say you've got your hands full, all I wanted to say back was actually my arms ache with how empty they are. I just want to hold my baby that I just lost. Um, so yeah, then I would often say I had two two kids. Um, I had three kids. I have two kids on earth and one in heaven. And that's what I would say often. And honestly, even now, I still kind of bring that up every, every once in a while. Like, it depends on what mood I'm in or I don't know what, what brings it up necessarily. But sometimes someone will be like, oh, how many kids do you have? And it'll just be like the right moment or something. Sometimes I don't want to kind of broach the subject, so I just like, I've got four kids. But other times I'm like, I've got four on earth and one in heaven. Um, but you're right, in truth, it's three in heaven, right? Um, but somehow Clara having her footprints on my wall, um, it just made it more personal, I guess, and yeah. So I, I guess I'm curious how you walk through this type of grief as a couple. And, you know, not that we want to draw a Venn diagram who's <laughs> watching this or, but, you know, there's certain aspects about grief that we all kind of go through. And then there's certain specific grief, you know, so there's like specific grief to losing a child. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard, you know, we have a couple mutual friends that, you know, I kind of heard this comment, which is, you know, as a woman, you're holding this life in your body. 
And as a man, you're kind of, I mean, I can say this because I'm one, like you're just there. <laughs> like, you're, you know, I'm kind of looking at my wife and like, hey, I, I love you. Do you need a back rub? Do you want me to get? But I don't have this life inside. Like, it's just different. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, you know, how have you both related in grief and how have you both kind of said, we just didn't see this the same way, so to speak? Well, I would say, first of all, because I had lost my mom before all of this happened, I was kind of maybe used to Lee um, being the one to hold me up and being the one to comfort me. And, um, And so when we were in that ultrasound room and the doctor left and Lee and I kind of had to grapple with this and, and come to grips with this new reality. And I, the doctor left and I started sobbing. And then I heard someone else crying and I opened my eyes and I saw Lee doubled over crying. And that was just like, oh, yeah, we're both in this. Like th- we just, both lost someone not that he didn't lose my mom too but it just wasn't this was his child this was his baby and um so realizing that was quite surprising for me and realizing that like oh I need to support him too like we're, we're gonna have to support each other through this and um because there was so many things medically I had to go through, I was on the phone a lot that day with midwives and doctors and all these different people and all these different opinions and constantly on the phone. And so I was handling all the details. And I, I remember at one point I went into Lee's office to um, ask him a question. And I could see that there had been like some type of um, weight had been lifted slightly off of his shoulders. Like you could see kind of a brightness in his face and he was talking on the phone and I kind of motioned to him, I probably signed to him, <laughs> like who, who was it? And um, it was Pastor Rob. And I can't tell you how comforting that was for me to see someone supporting him when I couldn't mm. and I mean, he had supported me already in so many ways, and but I had to deal with all this other stuff, and just knowing that someone was reaching out to him and supporting him meant the world to me. Um, so that was the first difference that I, I noticed. But I would say um, one of my favorite things about being pregnant is that I get to go everywhere with the baby. Um, I get to take the baby with me to work, and I get to feel the hiccups while I'm working, and there's th- there's this personal connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I can feel the little kicks and just feel that that connection. And after losing her, one of the hardest things was just that emptiness that I felt, um, just the loneliness, that deep loneliness that no one else could fill. You know, I, I just. I wanted her back. And um, I would say that, I'm trying to think which story to tell. (laughs) Um, I think right after, I think, and I think many people do this, I felt like I needed to be in a different place emotionally than where I was at. 
Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is um, I felt like I needed to move on. Like I, I just, this happened, okay, now we had this trip planned, we're gonna go on this trip. And like less than a week later, I had started my, I had started this three-part interview for a new job and I had one part left, the third part, and I was just gonna do it. I was gonna get it done. And um, they were just, they were just kind of, I wasn't ready for these things and emotionally ready for these things. I was still in this fog of grief. And um, Lee, all he could really do is support me in them because I don't know, do you have a better view of like how those things went? How, what, from, the, the from interview? Your, huh? The interview, you mean? Well, yeah, you can do the interview <laughs> if you want. <laughs> it didn't go well. <laughs> it didn't go well. He was watching me through the window, and it was just like, she's not doing well. Yeah, I know that. It, so you, I think what you're trying to say, right, is that um, sometimes we expect ourselves or each other to be in a different place in grief like than we really are. Mm-hmm. And referring back to the... I had the details completely wrong, but what our friend had, when she had lost her eight month old, Mm -hmm. right. And you felt like you, um, hadn't experienced as much pain as her. So you had no right to grieve or, you know, like in comparison to you, I really haven't had a loss. You know, my baby wasn't, wasn't full term yet. And what she told to you, I don't know the the word for word, but basically she said, look, your pain is your pain. Your hurt is your hurt. Your hurt is your hurt. And you need to grieve that pain. Yeah, I was and just actually was... talking to her today about that. Really? Um, yeah, I, I contacted her because mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to um, find out what, what she meant a little bit more because in the grief moment when I met with her, I mean, she had lost her eight-month-old and at that time, her her husband was in the process of passing away from brain cancer. So I wanted to talk with her, and she just said, yeah, your hurt is your hurt. You can't compare to other people. Um, there is no scale of this pain, this circumstance hurts more than this circumstance. Your hurt is your hurt, and you need to let yourself grieve. Mm-hmm. And and about a month after I had Clara, I remember um, talking with her, and and I kept just apologizing, like I'm so sorry. This this doesn't even compare to what you're going through. It doesn't compare what you've gone through. And she just stopped me and she said, "Your hurt is your hurt." And I was actually able to do that soon after with another friend um, that had an earlier infant loss than I did. And she said, I can't imagine what you're going through. Um, I, I, this, this probably seems so trivial. And I'm like, no, your hurt is your hurt and you've got to let yourself grieve. And can I interject? How, how did that affect you? How did that, I'm taking Peter's role here for a second. <laughs> hey, so, hey, I, this is all good. I know, I know this what, is being Jill's husband. I, <laughs> I know what you're driving at and it's a good point. How did was, that, how did that free you up? It was freeing. It was totally freeing. It it let me feel like I could just sit in my grief and be okay with that because up until that point, I think I just kept trying to move on. And there was even a time at work where um, 
I was getting ready to interpret and there was another interpreter who was very pregnant and she rubbed her belly. And when I saw that, I just, I couldn't breathe. I, I couldn't, all of the memories came flashing back and flooding back and um, I just had to get out of there. Mm. And I ran out of the room to, and this was at RIT, so I went to RIT to where it used to be a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and it was no longer a bathroom, it was some poor person's office. And um, I ran out to that room and then there was someone in there, so I ran to a different place and there were people everywhere and I ended up burying my, my face in a corner and falling on the ground sobbing. And I was shaking and there were people, my colleagues, my clients surrounding me mm -hmm. everywhere. And it was like a job fair situation. So there's people bustling everywhere. And I'm just hysterically crying. How, how, you said that was a month later? No, it wasn't even a month later. It was about two weeks later. And um, someone came up that I knew um, and she was like, what's wrong, Jill? And I was like, there's a pregnant person in there and I just gave birth to a stillbirth and I can't breathe. <laughs> and I was just those falling were, apart. Those were some difficult, some difficult times, but it was freeing to know that you could, you, <laughs> could, you could grieve and feel your heart, right? And, and not, be, not expect myself to be somewhere where I wasn't. Yeah. So that kind of brought me back and let me, let me grieve. Mm. You know, I, I, I kind of want to come back to you said the fog of grief, you know, at that point you had two little ones, you know, how did you ever feel like the fog left or, you know, just, and I'm thinking about this as a family. I mean, you're talking about an experience at work that I think a lot of us can kind of relate to. Um, and again, I, I love um, what your friend said that your hurts, your hurt, you know, and I think that there's a lot of people that can relate to it because it's like you walk in, you think you get the promotion, you don't get it. And the next week, that person that got the promotion is like presenting like, mm -hmm. you know, you may not, you know, go through what you go through, but you're going through the same thing. Um, you know, I think about the coronavirus. We were going to go on that trip. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen. So I guess I'm just kind of curious how long or even if you felt like the fog ever left kind of in your home. That that relates to your question that you asked earlier yes, about how, <laughs> how yeah, I'm sure people process differently. And because it wasn't in, um, you know, this didn't happen within my body, it, it, I, I processed it differently. For me, it was about two weeks. And I'm not saying that I, you know, in it, within about, at about two weeks after we, after Jill delivered the baby, um, it, it which required surgery and it was a, it was a whole thing. Um, uh, I was able to function, you know, pretty well. And it's not that it was gone, but I was able to function pretty, pretty, you know, pretty close to a hundred percent on my daily life after about two weeks. But it, in those two weeks, I was pretty wrecked, um, which, uh, surprise, I told you it surprised me. Um, for Jill, it was, it was much longer than that. And that did create some challenges in our relationship because, we were in different places and we processed things differently and we felt things differently. Mm. Jill anyway feels things much deeper than I do. She just, <laughs> she just does. It's, it's a reality. Um, but in this, in this case in particular, of course, the, between the physical pain and the connection with the baby, um, you know, it took her much longer and for her to see me 
uh, oper- you know, function again was, was difficult uh, for her, and it did create some conflict that we had to work through. Um, so that's, that, that was about how long it took me. I think for me, um, when I lost my mom, I had people all around me that knew her. And so I could talk with them. I could talk with my sister or my dad or Lee even and um, remember stories or anecdotes and quirky things that she used to do and laugh or um, cry or feel things with each other. But with Clara, I couldn't share those memories with anyone. I couldn't say, hey, Lee, you remember the last, that one time she kicked? Like, I, I couldn't do things like that. And it just felt so lonely. And so when he started to move on two weeks later, I just felt like I was still drowning in this loneliness and in this emptiness. And, and I felt so, so confused why he could move on and I was still suffocating. Mm-hmm. So you had two more kids Mm -hmm. and uh, human beings aren't necessarily the best. And even just what you said right there, um, you have people in your life that knew your mom that even though they grieve differently, there's kind of the shared experience. Now all of a sudden you have two kids. People don't always know what to say. You know, what were some things that people said that were helpful and what were things that people might have said even now that weren't very helpful in the grieving process? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, my thought is if somebody is being genuine and sincere in what they say to you, I have a lot of grace for that. Um, it's when people try to belittle Mm. Um, what you're going through when they try to compare it to somebody else's that's worse than yours. That's when, that's when I, I felt hurt. Um, my friends and I have been talking a lot about grief right now because I have a dear friend that's going through, um, some horrific things and, um, she's struggling with when people tell her that they're praying for comfort and peace for her and she's not feeling it. And and I think that um, when you're not feeling that peace or that comfort, um, again, I think we expect ourselves to be farther along in our grief than we are. Um, but also I think that feelings lag the answered prayers often mm-hmm. um, where we may pray for strength um, and and it is given but scripture says that um, it's in our weakness that his power is displayed and perfected um, so we might not necessarily feel that strength that we've prayed for we might not feel the peace but it doesn't mean it's not there mm-hmm. um, and so I think with people with me, um, being available at the drop of a hat, um, expressing their love for me, um, like simple things like that were the most comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee's dad 
did something um, early on um, that was incredibly comforting for both of us. And it was just not asking us, not not telling us that he was going to do something, but he just. Well, I'll t- <laughs> I can give a, I can yeah. give a specific, I can give a couple concrete examples. Um, one, and I'll I'm going to come back to that example in a second, but. Um, one thing that was tremendously helpful for me, I remember specifically in the receiving line after mom, uh, after Jill's mom passed away, uh, in the receiving line, someone from her church who had experienced the same thing I had, his wife had lost uh, a parent early. Um, he said, uh, I, I sympathize, I know how hard this is going to be. It's never going to go away. <laughs> I said, what? It kind of flat, floored me. I said, really? And that was a little discouraging. Um, and I don't remember his exact words. It's not exactly how he said it, but, uh, I have noticed that in that case in particular, when it comes to the beginning of August, Jill's mood is going to change for the two weeks leading up to that. Something clicked, something about the weather, something about the angle of the sun, something, something about it. She feels it. And I need to be able to honor those emotions and just let her feel what she feels, recognize where it's coming from and not get defensive. Um, that's how I can support her in that and schedule a date for that. <laughs> schedule a date. He's learning. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, ex- the specific example uh, with my dad, as you mentioned right at the beginning, uh, I'm a hot air balloon pilot. My family flies hot air balloons and this. Every year we go to a balloon festival up in the Adirondacks in the fall. And it's very much a family thing. And dad, <clears throat> he has his spot on the field where he goes to every year. Uh, he, he flies for a corporate um, balloon, and so it's a highly visible location. That's where he goes. Well, I that year was flying for someone else, and I was going to be located on the other side of the field. And when you, you've gone through loss like you do, it's very easy, Joel mentioned, you can feel very, very lonely. And I remember feeling as isolated and lonely as I ever have in my life. It was less than a week later. It's the trip she mentioned earlier. And uh, I just hated, hated, hated the idea of being based, having my family there, my family meaning my dad, my brother, my my mom, uh, nephews and nieces, they were all there, but on the other side of the field, and we we're going to be completely isolated from them. So uh, without announcing it to us, my dad, who had been in that spot for 10 years or 15 years or whatever it was, just quietly didn't go there, came over, set up the balloon next to us, and that meant that all weekend we were able to interact with uh, with my family instead of being isolated. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me. So it wasn't in his case, what he said, it was what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that was, that was really, really significant for us. You know, in going through this series, you know, the only way that I can really pick people to like be interviewed is people that talk about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's other individuals that I could probably interview and they would probably say no, and I want to honor that. But, you know, something that I've just kind of noticed about both of you is like you honor your grief, even the way you're talking about it right now, like the beginning of August, I hear the balloon pilot come out. The sun's a certain way. <laughs> I know I get it. And then, you know, even with you, Jill, like, like you just have a good handle of your emotions of like, something isn't right and you might not be able to put your finger on grief so what advice would you give to people you know we're dealing with this question time doesn't heal all wounds but like how do you help people honor their grief especially if they might not know that's what it is in the moment i will 
I'll take the first swing at that as well because one thing that we set up in our relationship very early on, Jill and me, um, and one thing that I think it tends to be very difficult for us guys and not natural is uh, I told her early on she would she would you know feel uncomfortable and say oh you know I'm I'm probably you know my, I'm probably being irrational I'm fi- you know I'm feeling my feelings are irrational I said Jill it's impossible for a feeling to be irrational a feeling is a feeling so what I've loved about interviewing both of you is there's been this sense of honoring our grief. So knowing August is coming, the sun's the right way, balloonist right there. You know, you even said there's some days I'm just upset. And I guess how would you guys know, you know, how would you encourage people and recommend to honor your grief? For for us, it's been really important and it's it's challenging as a guy to <laughs> recognize and and create this space in our marriage and our relationship but i think it's really important that jill feel free both of us but particularly her to be able to be free to feel the emotions that you feel to process through them to discuss them and for me to respect that it's really easy to diminish emotions that you don't relate to and say that's ridiculous or it's irrational but I told her really early on, there's no such thing as irrational emotions. Thoughts can be, you know, you can put two and two and get five and that's, you know, it's not, it's not right. It's not real, but you feel what you feel. And we've always, I think, done a pretty good job of being able to process through those things. And it creates a healthy environment for us to be able to just work through things. Um, and once I hear what she's saying, and once she hears what I'm saying, then we can speak to truth to each other. Mm-hmm. Truth is a really important component to this. Scripture is a really important component to this. Um, and when we're able to be vulnerable in that way um, and just honest with each other, no matter what, share our feelings with each other. <laughs> I grew up as a farmer and, you know, so it's like <laughs> I grew up on a farm. So it's, it's that's not the most natural thing, but it can be learned and it's really important. So that's that's one way w- that we've learned to um, honor each other's grief, I think, if that answers the question. Mm-hmm. I saw, I don't know, I think it was on Instagram or something, but there was this little meme. I don't know if it's a meme, but it's a little <laughs> inspirational quote. But it was something along the lines of, it's important to honor our feelings, not worship them. Mm. And and I think that's so true. I think it's so important to feel feel what we're feeling and to not assume that we should be feeling something different than what we're feeling. Whatever your response is from a loss, that is your grief. That is your hurt and feel it. Um, it's, it's when you wallow in that grief forever later. (laughs) Um, and yes, it comes in waves, but, um, I don't know. The Lord the Lord wants us to cast our cares on him. And I think this was in a sermon not too long ago. It may have been by you. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but how the act of casting isn't just like tossing or it's not setting setting down. It's throwing it and casting our cares onto the Lord and because he cares for us. Mm-hmm. 
And, and when we can do that, um, feel our grief and then cast it to him, um, I think there's so much healing in that. Mm. Man, we could probably go on for five hours, <laughs> some real coffee. I, I want to close with, uh, like we do all the time, you know, what does Jesus have to say about time healing all wounds? So the good news is, um, so I start, um, and then pretty much I ask every guest to clear up the heresy or the ways that I've messed <laughs> things up. And um, yeah, so I'll get started. You know, what does Jesus have to say? And I, I'm just reflecting a lot on... Um, you know, you said that Clara would have been around seven years old right now. And, you know, your mom died 11 years ago. And you're still, um, you're still talking about this grief. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a sense, yeah, time does heal all wounds. Mm -hmm. But there's also a sense that you're still going to feel it. And so I guess where I'm at, um, I, I think there's a ton of these pregnancy stories in the Bible and recently we're about to, you know, we're in a series right now with this recording about Abraham and like Sarah laughs and because the angel says, you're going to get pregnant <laughs> and it's been like 90 years of nothing and you just see characters in the Bible go through that and in Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus being, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquity and I think when it comes to grief and sadness, Jesus never promises it won't happen, but there is something of absorbing it and and taking it in. And, you know, I'm thinking about the friend that you mentioned too, that, you know, we're praying for comfort, you don't have it. Like, sometimes you're so in the middle of grief and pain that you're not going to feel comfort and, like, you just have to give yourself grace. And I'm I'm leaving this conversation we talk about giving others grace all the time and it's almost new agey, but I'm hearing from both of you and I'm leaving with, you know, what makes this conversation different is just the grace you need to give yourself. There's going to be days you don't want to get out of bed. There's going to be days, you know, you don't want to do this. And to be able to acknowledge that I think is what's powerful. So yes. And yeah. that another way of saying it, maybe accept yeah. grace from God, accept grace from those who love you, even as long as it's well, usually it's well-intentioned, it might be fumbling. Um, but uh, um, as someone who, you know, to, to anyone supporting others who may be grieving, Jesus says, um, when someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And guess what? If someone is grieving, they might lash out at you. Mm -hmm. You need to be willing to take that shot and not return the blow. But take it and reach your hands wide and be willing to give a hug because that's probably what that person needs. And King David also had something to say in addition to Jesus. And this is the thing that in the hospital room when we came in and, and Jill had gone through a procedure and I went in and saw Clara's footprints on the, on the table and I was shocked. I didn't expect it. And it made it all the more real to me. We asked Pastor Rob, what can you say about, like, where is she? I know that she, I wanted to say, I, th I think she's in heaven. And he pointed us to the scripture where David had lost his son mm -hmm. and he had been praying and fasting, covered himself in ashes for days and mourning. Um, and then the baby died. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, he got up, he ate some food, he cleaned himself up. And he said, uh, everyone wondered why. And he said, um, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. Meaning that baby was in heaven ahead of him. Mm. That was such a comfort for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much more to say because that was my moment too. Mm. So yeah. Jill and Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a wonderful podcast. Um, you can find us at uh, hashtag WGWpodcast, whygodwhypodcast.com. Um, you know, I ask you to post on social media, but this is one you probably want to text or share with a friend. Um, and also, too, you just you don't know. Um, and probably as you listen to this and share this, you'll find out people that have experienced what Jill and Lee have. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, yeah. Glad to have you. And bye-bye.